Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you that no power of hell and no scheme of man can ever pluck us from your hand. Dear Lord, give thanks in the season of thanks that every time we do a baptism service, one, it's a celebration. Two, we have multiple people coming forward to get baptized. So the four lives that are yours, we give thanks for. We give thanks for what you will do in them throughout their eternal life. We pray for others here because others' hearts are yearning and moving towards you. And I just pray a response by prayer. I pray a response by action. I pray a response ultimately by life. And what we just saying that until you return or call us home in the power of you, Jesus, we will stand. Help us by your spirit stand. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Y'all can have a seat. Thank you again, uh, our worship team, for leading us in worship. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. It's towards the back of your Bible. If you do not have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back on a table. Uh, we would love for you to have, or we would love to give to you. Uh, we have been in a series this fall, and we'll close next week before Advent, that we call In Not Of. And it's really a how do we live as Christians, because the letter that Peter wrote, First Peter, is a how do you live letter for us as Christians, as the body of Christ. Uh, and I've said it every sermon, and I will continue to do that phrase, in not of. I've heard uh, just about all my Christian life, and I've always seen it as a negative. As a Christian, you're in, not of the world. And to me, it meant, basically, I can't. I can't do certain things. Uh, I can't have certain relationships. I can't go certain places. Uh, that really meant to me was the things that I could not do. And I have tried, uh, by the power of the Spirit, to turn that around. Uh, and it's helped me see, at least, that in not of really should mean uh, we can. Uh, we can because we're part of a greater kingdom. Uh, we're citizens of a greater kingdom. Uh, we have a divine and eternal purpose that does matter for today. We're part of a much bigger family uh, than we ever dreamed. And some of us may want to be part of a bigger family, especially with Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up. Uh, but anyway, you are part of a bigger family. Some of y'all didn't catch that. Anyway, you need to listen, okay? And you do. We are part of this bigger family. And we have a bigger hope than anything, anything political, anything uh, fashion-wise and how you look or beauty, anything financial-wise, anything social-wise will ever, ever give you. And you really need to listen to that, okay? And some of y'all do listen and have responded. And others are like, no, I think I'll... I think I'll keep tracking on beauty uh, or, you know, the right social network. I'm glad you're here if you are that way. Now then, I really want this message, and it'll be, uh, it'll be quick because we've got some baptism testimonies, but it's really a message about what is this about? And what is this about? What's baptism about? What's church about? I mean, when it all boils down. I mean, I'm so thankful you're here. I'm so thankful what we can do. But what's it, I mean, what's it about? What's this, what's this mean? What's, what's it all bottom line? Uh, I believe God shows us in, in a lot of passages through the Holy Spirit 
uh, but he showed me this this week. And so uh, what I want to share with you, we're going to read verses 1 through 7, 1 Peter 5. But I want to talk about who we've been, who we become, and what it looks like. And all that is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. So in Jesus Christ, who we've been, in Jesus Christ, who we become, and in Jesus Christ, what it looks like. Say it one more time, and I'm going to add something. In Jesus Christ, who you've been is an orphan. In Jesus Christ, who you become is a shepherd. And in Jesus Christ, what it looks like is humility. Orphans, shepherds, humility. Let's read God's word. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 7. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willfully as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's stop there. What does all this mean in Christ? Who we've been, who we become, what it looks like. First, who we've been, and I said this earlier, that if you're not in Christ, you are an orphan. And if we're in Christ, then we remember, and I do remember this, when we were orphans. Curious, how many of y'all, and probably many, because of the many of y'all who've gone on the mission trips here, How many of y'all have seen an orphan, as the world would call them, an orphan? Many, many. Yes, many. Thanks be to God. Uh, In Honduras, every year that we go, there is an orphanage that we will spend a day uh, visiting. Orphans, as the world would look at them. So, no, you know, parents, no family, that's their, that's become their family. Uh, Some of y'all have gone to India, and we have seen... Uh, orphans, uh, some of whom were, get this, orphaned uh, because girls were kidnapped uh, and kidnapped into slavery, sex slavery. So some of y'all have seen and ministered to them. Uh, Others get this in India, talk about the broken world. Other girls have been sold by their parents into slavery because, and we were told this, because uh, if you have five kids, Uh, And nobody can eat, but if you sell one of them, the four, and your family can eat for a year, that can be an easier call than you might imagine. And so we have met girls who have been orphaned uh, at a school in India in Hyderabad uh, that we helped start and support. Uh, We've seen orphans and children who have been orphaned on the streets and slums uh, who have the only family that they know in this school, 
uh, particularly those uh, with disabilities, uh, which is near and dear to my heart, but physical disabilities. And I'll never forget, it was two years ago, we came back, the last time I was in India, and met this young girl, and I've said this before, I mean, her feet were like mangled up in her arms. I mean, just totally deformed. And they said, you know, if this school wasn't there, that young girl would be cast on the street. She would not survive, okay? So there are orphans, as the world would call them, and the Bible is very clear over and over again to minister to widows and orphans. Uh, widows we did yesterday in the work day, but orphans that we do. Now then, back to us. How many of us, and it may be a lesser show of hands or more show of hands, I think it should be more, but we'll see who's honest. How many have felt like an orphan, even if the quote, okay, so just me. Okay, so I felt, thank you, a few folks. But even with the quote, per, perfect family, and I used to argue that I was, you know, had that, okay? The perfect family, you can feel like an orphan because in every human heart, there is a longing, and I know this because I've talked to many of you, a longing for home, for home. And often your house doesn't feel like your home. Uh, there is a longing uh, for family, even though we have to love our family, but like something deeper. There is this longing for ties that truly bind community. It's this longing. And we can feel lonely. In Christ, we're never alone, but we can feel lonely. So now you're like, well, what does this, you know, it's talked all about elders here. I mean, what does this have to do? What do you, okay, verse one. Uh, and God really convicted me about this verse. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, Peter writes, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. I want you to key in on that verse. Past, present, and future. First, Peter says, in the past, I was a witness to the sufferings of Christ. In the present, I'm a partaker. And in the future, the glory will fully be revealed. We feel like orphans. And I need you to know, and what baptism is all about, is Peter said here, and we talked about this last week or maybe two weeks ago, Peter lived, and he's clearly saying, I was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And you need to know this, he suffered for you. Uh, he died so that you could be saved uh, from death and hell. He died on the cross, which we have up there. He suffered for you in the past. So often, here's the deal, often us Christians are like, yes, I got that, check, thank you, okay? I know that. And then he says the glory that will be revealed. And some of you are like, hey, I got that, check. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling with uh, friends dying too soon, and I just kind of struggle with death overall, but I know my eternal home's in heaven, full glory revealed, got that, check. Here's the deal. Many Christians, or so-called Christians, I'm not saying you're not, but I'm just saying they call themselves Christians. They get the past, or they know it, they know the future, but they're not partaking at all, like Peter says here. He said, what's interesting is Peter says, I'm a partaker of the future glory. I'm a partaker of the sufferings in the past. And many of us, and quite probably many of you, don't partake. Don't partake. You don't remind yourself, Jesus died for me. 
Jesus gave it all for me. I know what I have in the future, but the future is now. You're partaking in glory now. What is that glory? Well, Holy Spirit. Well, maybe grace that you're forgiven. And if you don't think you need to be forgiven, you desperately need to be forgiven. Partaking in the grace. Partaking that Jesus saves you from past guilt, present shame, future worry. I say that a lot. Are you partaking in that? Are you a partaker of the glory from the past and the glory from the future? This is what we have. This is what it means to be brought into the family of Christ. Before Christ, who we've been is an orphan. In Christ, you have all that. You can have all that in a moment. Today, this afternoon, later this week. Now, who we become. Who we've been is an orphan. Who we become in Christ. If you're like, got it, check, say, okay. Well then, are you this? We become shepherds. Shepherds. Verse 2 through 4. Talks about shepherding here. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. It says, elders, exercise and oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, Peter writes this specifically to elders. I'll get to that in a minute. But first, if you're in Christ, we all, in a way become shepherds. Because if you say the church, here's the thing, if you say the church is a family, and Jesus refers to the church over and over again as a flock, okay? And so if we're a family, shepherding is also shepherding one another. And so here, a very big deal, when someone says, I'm called here, I want to join, the reason we have, and, and we do have this, we have it on the website, a covenant, is that we want to make sure, as best as we can, that people who join are, are Christians. Because if we're Christians, then we're called to shepherd one another. You know, what does that look like? Well, I mean, caring, loving, what many of you do. And I pray that we do more and more checking in, walking with, hanging with, encouraging, edifying, all those things. That we, we do shepherd one another. Then he does specifically talk about elders. Uh, we've said, and if you don't know, we're, we're an elder-led church. We have three elders. Uh, myself, Chris Kellum, David Carroll. And Peter lines out here to shepherd the flock and trusted you. So our role, and please hear this, our role as elders, our role, role is primary as shepherds. Shepherds. It's not a rule. It's a role, not a rule. As in like, it's, it's not domineering, he says. It's not, well, you got to do this, you know. It's not rule-based. It's a role. And so that spirit, Lord willing, hopefully, you know, trickles down into the body that we would love and care and shepherd this flock that God's entrusted to us. Now, also, you know, we happen to be, the three of us, uh, get this, we have to be humans, right? Right? How many men? <laughs> some of you are like, you're not humans, you're a man. Anyway, some of, some of the ladies, I don't know, just kidding. But we're human beings. Meaning we are, uh, we're, we're flawed. We still, we're still living in sin. You know, you become an elder in a Protestant church, still in sin. Shocker. 
All the, even, you're not an orphan anymore, still, still in this, this remnant of the physical world that happens to be a human body and have all that. Therefore, Peter says, you're not the chief shepherd, bro. Or the three of y'all. You're not. Y'all aren't. There's one chief shepherd. So the org chart of any church, Jesus is at the top. Okay? I want you to gaze at stained glass window. Love, love, love that stained glass window. Saw it at a, at a wedding I was honored to do at a small little church down in Alabama. We put it here. Chief shepherd. My hope and prayer is you come in here, that spirit, front and center, you know, emanates into us. What's the chief shepherd doing in the stained glass window? He's carrying the baby sheep, uh, and the two, let's call them big sheep, are beside him. I call them Peter and Paul, but, you know, whatever, you can call them, you can call them Neil and Chris, or, you know, or whatever, you know whatever you want to do, but anyway. But they're there. And I always say, so what Jesus is doing is he's raised up leaders of the flock, the grown sheep, and he's going out for the baby sheep. He's going out, out for the orphan. Okay? And what we need to see, and I've said this before, is we've all been the baby sheep. And if you never remember, like I never remember being a baby sheep, guess what? You're a baby sheep right now. Okay? If you never, like, I'm always good. No. no. Okay? We've all been baby sheep. And Jesus nurtures us and grows up. The mission of Bellwether has never changed. We've changed venues. Uh, we've changed people. The mission has never changed. It goes back to raising leaders of the flock who would follow the good shepherd. We've always said that, say it different ways, but really raising leaders of the flock who would follow the chief shepherd. We've always said anyone can be a leader for Christ. Anyone can? Yeah, Peter. You know what Peter did? He denied him couple times. Anyone can be a leader for Christ. Then you say, well, how do you be a leader for Christ? We've tried to simplify it in the human words as best possible. See, love, go. See, love, go here in this house, in this actual building. See, love, go in this community, in this what we call church, called Bellwether. See, love, go out there. Anybody can be a leader for Christ. See, love, go. And we want to raise leaders of the flock. He's the chief shepherd. And he suffered for us. I love how the cross is right underneath him. Because what he did, he went down, he descended. Scripture says, and, and this was no, well, no accidents Christianity, but he descended to the cross, Philippians 2. He suffered for you. He suffered for the brothers and sisters baptized. He'll be raised, he was raised and he will raise us in glory. Chief shepherd. Who we become are under shepherds. And last, what does that look like? Last thing, what does it look like? Humility. Humility. The last few verses we read, uh, verse 5, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that all, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I'd ask you this. You know, what do you wear? What's your posture? How do you clothe yourself? 
you clothe yourself with pride. Often pride is, oh, I know better. I know better than him. Better than him up there talking. I know better than you trying to, you know, give me a word. Um, I, know, I know best, you might say. How is your posture here now? Is it a posture of consistent need? That's what Christ wants. Because he says, casting all your anxieties. You know, I have need. I need to cast and he cares. So what's the posture that you wear? Is it one of humility? Who we've been, you've been an orphan. So it's easy to have humility if you remember back, okay? And what Jesus saved you from. And Jesus saving you does not mean, you know, like, you know, the explicit sin of, you know, we love these stories of, you know, drunk, wasted, you know, dirty, scumbag, horrible, and, you know, Jesus changed. I mean, we love that, but the truth is, in the heart, all of us have been like that. And we may look good, and we can dress up nice, but if you remember what he's, you've been saved from, and often it is pride, you know, in doing it our own way then you can have a little bit more humility towards others. When you know the grace shown you, you give a lot more grace to others. So the posture, what it looks like, what it should look like, is is really one of deep, deep humility. You don't have to make your point all the time. You don't have to be right all the time. Maybe that means, you know, not saying something at all. So I want to give this last example. Uh, It's kind of a, a testimony. It really moved on me this week. Uh, obviously, there was an election this week, right? And some of us didn't know how it was going to turn out, one way or the other, okay? And on uh, Tuesday, I guess it was, Tuesday afternoon, so before results, uh, I saw a sermon, I read part of a sermon uh, that was tweeted uh, from a pastor in Washington, D.C. His name's Mark Dever. Uh, he pastors Capitol Hill Baptist Church. I don't know him personally. I admire him profoundly. I'll say that. And it's about six blocks from the Capitol. Uh, I used to, talk about D.C. stories last week, I used to walk by it, you know, every Saturday night and not go on Sunday morning. Or actually, I'd walk by it every early Sunday morning, you know, and not make it. So, I mean, I, but it was, I lived on the same block. And he wrote, well, they, I guess they sent out his sermon. But I, I wrote it, part of it, on Facebook. And I don't like to write, you know, a lot of this stuff, but I thought... For that day, it was, it was very apt. And he basically just said, you know, Jesus is on the throne, like, you know, several folks kind of threw out that day or the next day or yesterday or today. Jesus is on the throne, and, you know, he said it more eloquently than that. But he said this, he said, whatever happens in this election. So it was before, before, you know, it was over. It will not change, you know, the biggest realities of your life. Meaning salvation, meaning being an orphan, being saved, being an under-shepherd, humility. It won't change those realities, which it will not. Okay? And it was good, and you know, it kind of fired me up, and I sent it out, regardless of who won. Good, okay? And, you know, there were a couple folks who were like, you know, preach it, brother, or whatever. And, but then, we had an old friend, Linda and I had an old friend, from Boston, we were in seminary, and he was deeply offended by it. And, and this gentleman, we, he was friends with us. We were friends. 
uh, not deep close friends, uh, but he he would call himself a Christian, uh-huh. but lives a very alternative lifestyle. Let's say that right now, and he sent a long response. You can read it. I mean, I'm not going to delete it. He sent a long response saying, you know, I'm deeply offended at this post, John Hume. And you're wrong because the core realities of my life have changed. And he actually put it much eloquently, you know, from, you know, being talked down to through this election to victimized um, and, you know, very fearful for my life in this culture as it's moving. And shame on us. I think he said that. Shame on us. He didn't say shame on me, but I'm sure that was probably what he was feeling. Uh, Shame on us who carry the banner of Christ. And he said, I'm offended at your Christian triumphalism, which is like, you know, Jesus, Lord, all that. He said, you know, you can't just tell me to be happy. So I read it, and I've read it several times, and I've not responded yet. And I don't even know if I am going to respond. Because the Lord, you know, what he's doing in me, sometimes humility is not saying anything. And letting someone have their voice. Because quite frankly, he probably wouldn't receive anything I would say to him. He would probably wouldn't receive, hey, I love, I'm definitely going to say, I'm praying for you. Because then he would feel belittled. You know? And we've probably gotten that from you know, super Christians before. Anybody, if you have, say amen right now. Amen. Amen. You know, I'm praying for you. Give me a break. Come on. I'll pray for you. you know? That's how it makes you want to feel. But my point is... Here's my basic point, and I may respond somehow, but just the vast differences in division and the John 10, 16 of the other. So he's another for, for me, for us. And we were, I need to get this, we were good friends with this guy, okay? So we're like good friends with, you know, people who would totally disagree. I like that. I want, that, I want this church to be flooded with Eric's. That was his name. Flooded. I would rejoice in that. My point is, if you know who you've been as an orphan, you know who you've become. An under-shepherd. under-shepherd is someone with purpose. Someone not just save. It's, it's, there's, a, there's a role and a goal here. Then you can live with a deep humility and not always have to be right and not pick fights on social media or not respond to fights on social media. Look, our world right now, our culture right now, it needs that deep humility. It needs that deep humility from Christians. It needs that deep humility from this church. And you can have it. And it's not because of anybody's opinion. It is what the Bible says. And Peter just said it clearly about how to live in, not of. And who knows? The Holy Spirit could work profoundly with that other person. And I believe he will. Closing up right here. Do you have this? Really. If you're not listening, please listen. Do you have this? Do you know who you've been? Or maybe do you know who you are as an orphan? As an orphan. Do you know who you can become under shepherd of the Lord? With great, you've been given, each of you have been given great gifts. Each of you have been given great gifts to be used for, for eternity. And know what it looks like. That can change hearts and lives and cities and communities. If you don't know this, have this. Any moment's a remarkable opportunity. That's part of the power of it. Now is a remarkable opportunity. As you witness baptism, and that's what it's about. As you witness a church celebrating, it's what it's about. 
coming together. That's why we do baptisms as we do it. And this is an open baptism as they all are. That means anyone can walk up. We have clothes you could change in. And you could be baptized today. And that's not like a pressure thing or like, well, I wonder if you might... Don't, I'm not made like that. I'd love for you to respond. I'd more so like you to respond in the heart. And then maybe we're going to have another baptism service in January. We'll have a conversation. But if led, it's always open, always spontaneous. But the main thing is that heart and saying, man, I remember, or I am an orphan. I'm going to come to you as the chief shepherd, and you will change my life to be a humble heart that moves into a world of need. We're going to pray. As we pray, I'm going to then read testimonies. Those who are getting baptized as scheduled can walk out, and we'll hear their stories. But let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, may we know who we've been. May we know who we can become in Jesus. May we really know what that looks like and live it out in you. In your name we pray. Amen. We have scheduled four baptisms that are coming up. They are all powerful stories of God's hand, God's work in their life. What we always do here is to read their stories. The full story is on our website. On the stories page, I'm going to paraphrase, but yet they are, they're powerful. Four individual lives saved and brought into the family of Jesus. First one, throughout the stage of my early life, I've always believed in Jesus just as I was taught. I grew up in church. I grew up in a Christian home. I always tried my best to do right, to check off the boxes I felt like I needed to just to be a good person. I sought affirmation and acceptance through my accomplishments and through other people. I was very eager to please. It wasn't until my life was shaken apart with a troubled marriage and eventually a divorce that I grasped what the gospel story is about. I couldn't believe where I was. There was so much pain and helplessness. I felt so alone like God wasn't there. I kept on trying to get affirmation from the church instead of God. I started making selfish choices. My comfortable, controlled life felt the opposite of God's power. Thankfully, our God works in brokenness and helplessness. After time, there was a constant babble going on in my heart and my thoughts about who I was as God's child and what that really meant. God helped me understand my dependence on my own strength was broken and left me empty. It wasn't until I fell on my face and said, God, you are my only hope. I cannot do this. I am so broken. I can do nothing without you. I began to understand what it meant to give up my feeble attempts and lean completely on God and his perfect holy grace. I felt loved by God, which changed my heart. My failures were not what would ever define me. My self-worth was not based on anything I did or anyone's opinions of me. My guilt and my shame were washed away by what Christ did on the cross because he is a merciful God who loved me and had chosen me as his own. He allowed me to fall so I could understand what dependence on him rather than my own abilities meant. I am so grateful that he allowed me to fall. I used to be so critical of others who preached constantly about grace and love 
because I thought these people just use that as an excuse to do whatever they want because God forgives. God turned this way of thinking completely around. I believe grace comes first, for it's because of His grace I am made holy, His child, in spite of my sin. I am in awe of His love and grace towards me, a person who sins still every day. The more I learn about Him, the more I desire Him as my hope. He loves me unconditionally. He gives me a freedom like no other. This is still a journey, as it is for every Christ follower. I still struggle with unbelief and distrust. I still struggle with guilt. I still struggle with trying to be in control of my life. But God works. He fights for my heart and thoughts, and He reminds me constantly, every day, how big He is. Amen. Second testimony. My road to Jesus has been one littered with God's substitutes, otherwise known as idols. My idols were twofold. Instant gratification and getting approval from others through achievements. The self-indulgence, instant gratification range from the simple, such as video games as a kid, fan duel, I don't know what that is, as an adult, uh, to alcohol and drugs. The approval-seeking part of my idolatry was very selfish. I focused on physical appearance, professional success, and material possessions. In August of 2016, I recalled something pastor said during a sermon about religion. He said, even atheists and agnostics have religion. They just put their faith in things other than God. Does this apply to me? Yes. I had to put my faith in money, alcohol, and personal achievement. The next question I asked was how these substitutes had worked out. The answer was clear. No joy or satisfaction. And if I got it, it was only temporary, followed by emptiness. I made a decision to turn away from idols and turn to Jesus, repenting for past sin. Contrary to what you or society may believe, turning away from earthly endeavors has not curtailed my freedom in any way. In fact, turning to Jesus, putting my faith in Jesus, making a commitment to live according to God's word, has given me emotional freedom and satisfaction, knowing earthly pleasures which are finite pale to the endless joy to be experienced in the next. Amen. Third testimony. The reason I want to be baptized is I know Jesus is my Savior. I want other people to know that too. At the beginning of the school year, all my teachers gave us their testimonies, and my math teacher stood out to me. I talked to her about it, and she told me how we all need Jesus and can't do it on our own. I know this is true. For those reasons, I want to be baptized. And to sum it up, I just really love Jesus. Amen. This young girl's mother. There are no words to describe my pure joy as I'm about to watch my daughter publicly declare her love for Jesus. She has such a compassionate, caring heart. She amazes me every day. To see her mature in her faith at this point, to the place where she wants the world to know she believes Jesus to be her one and only Savior, that a life without Him is not a life she intends to live, fills my heart with love and eyes with tears. Since she was a baby, I ended my prayers with these words. May Jesus be in your thoughts, in your words, and in your heart while touching her sweet head, mouth, and heart. This continues to be my prayer for her. May His light always shine through her during good times and struggles so that when others see her faith, they will yearn to have a relationship with our Lord and Savior.
and our last testimony. I was seven years old the first time I was baptized, and I know I did it for the right reasons uh, as a seven-year-old child. I knew Jesus was knocking on the door to my heart and soul, and I opened the door and let his Holy Spirit in. He has always been with me, but I began now to grow closer, more personal relationship with him as a wife and mother. I do know Jesus is the Son of God and loves me unconditionally. It is a gift. I'm feeling led to read the Bible from beginning to end like a book. Over the years, I've probably read most all the scriptures, but I'm realizing it's important for me to read it in sequence as a story, starting starting with the New Testament, then the Old Testament. I went to a recent retreat, and what I learned is that my life is ministry, and I really need to meditate and document all the ways God has carried me through this life and placed such extraordinary people and circumstances in my life for me. These are the testimonies. Each person here is a testimony of God's work. May you know that. If you are led today, it's always open, always spontaneous. Dr. David Carroll is an elder in the back. You could just go to him. We would take care from there. If you do not, but are feeling led, we'd love to talk to you. But for all of you, we want to celebrate, we want to party as we see God work, change, and move forward the lives of these four brothers and sisters. Amen.